If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 9, verses 1 to 41. So it's a pretty long passage. We want to catch the whole of this for our time today. We're going to actually look at this passage today and next week. So we're going to start this week. We'll finish next week looking at two different perspectives on this passage. And so this is John chapter 9. Friends, listen, this is God's word. And he, Jesus, passed by. He saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I- I'm the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought it to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. 
Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is God's word. Wow. So this is a story. uh, It's really an interesting story of of one of the miracles of Jesus. Um, It deals with not just a miracle, but it also deals with suffering, right? And the nature of suffering. And, And so it's helpful for us because when we think about blindness in a more allegorical way, um, I think we all would say that we experience, in places in our lives, we experience a spiritual blindness, right? And there's also suffering that we endure. And so in this passage, Jesus shows us how he works in our lives when we respond to him, okay, in these areas. And so if you're here today and you're a Christian, uh, Jesus is going to show you how he thinks about your suffering, and how your suffering can enable you to live a life of deeper significance and joy. Okay, if you're not a Christian, um, Jesus is going to invite you into a deeper understanding of how he thinks about life and suffering in it and what he can do to heal you. Okay, this is a story about why suffering happens and how God responds to it. And this story is important for us because Easter's coming and we are all resolved to love our neighbors. Right? Our desire is to invite other people into the experience that we have with Jesus. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to invite people into our Sunday experience, then we need to have something meaningful to share with them. And this is a story about that. This is a story where we get to see um, what Jesus does in a life and how that gives birth to a personal story of what Jesus does in our experience of him. So we're going to see this really in three things today, if you want to take notes. We're going to see first that Jesus renews your perspective. So your perspective. Second, Jesus renews your way of life. And then third, Jesus renews your story. Okay, so he renews your perspective, your way of life, and your story. So first, Jesus renews your perspective. This is verses 1 to 5. Um, I think this may be the most important point for you today. Okay, because there are times, we think about healing, there are times when Jesus doesn't heal us when we want him to. Okay, all of us have the experience where we've prayed for something or wanted something badly and it doesn't come to us. And when Jesus doesn't heal, we need to have his perspective. Okay, we need to have a renewed perspective. Um, The disciples in this passage, right? It starts with Jesus and his disciples walking by this man who was born blind. 
And in this passage, the disciples really sort of indicate the prevailing notions of the day on suffering. Okay, they see this man, somehow they know he was born blind, and so they ask Jesus, who is right? There's two choices out there, Jesus, which one's right? It's either this man's fault or it's his parents. Okay, those are the prevailing options if you're going to try to explain the, the reality of suffering. Either the blind man sinned and deserved what he got, or his parents sinned, and so the blind man is being punished for what his parents did. It's interesting because when you think about that, I think that we have these same notions today. I think that these continue to be the prevailing ideas of why suffering happens. You know, we see it in politics. Okay, when confronted with evil or brokenness in society, conservative people typically blame the person who is suffering. Right? They usually say, oh, it's the person's fault because they're not responsible enough. Right? It's their fault, which is just like saying, oh, it's this man who sinned. Right? That's why he's suffering. That's why he was blind. I think this also tends to be the religious response. Right? In a lot of religions, in a lot of, even in, in some churches, you know, the idea is, well, if you're suffering, you must have done something to deserve this kind of affliction. Right? Um, and so God, the idea here is that God is out to punish you. That's how people think. Um, on the other hand, uh, folks who are liberal typically blame society or the family or the environment that's been created around a person that has caused them to suffer. Okay? It's not your fault. This was done to you. You're the victim. Right? So we see, again, these things. Right? Is it the man who sinned or is it his parents? But Jesus renews our perspective. Okay? Both explanations are wrong in this case. Right? There's another way to think about it. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is an invitation. As we read this, this is an invitation from Jesus to renew your perspective. What Jesus is saying here is that your suffering, your challenges in life are an opportunity to see God's works displayed in you. Your suffering is a chance for God to show his power and his love in your life. This is huge. If you can grab hold of this verse, that Jesus, verse 3, if you can believe it and trust it, if you can walk believing in this verse, live your life with this verse, part of what you believe to be true about reality, everything will change for you. Everything will change. Think about this, I mean, for yourself. Where is your blindness? Right? How do you relate to this man born blind? I mean, is it, I mean, physical suffering? Right? Be almost identical, right? This guy's physically suffering. Some of you are suffering physically. Is it more spiritual? Like, do you have a relationship that you feel like is sort of an albatross? in your life. It's this, it's this anchor that weighs you down and it constantly causes you to despair. 
Maybe it's anger or fear, right? These are things that, that, that you are dealing with. Well, whatever it is that you're dealing with, Jesus is coming to you today. He's coming to you right now, not to focus on your fault or someone else's, but to focus you on the God who is at work in the world. It's a good reminder. This is how God renews you and then gives you a story of how to share him with others. Right? It's all, it's all connected. You know, the disciples want an explanation because they want to know who to blame. Okay? But Jesus gives an explanation so that they can know what is possible. What is possible? It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I mean, I said, I, I really do. I think this is the most important point here, to have this perspective. It's so important because it sets your mind and your way of thinking that applies no matter what God does when you pray about your suffering. Okay? Because if God heals, what Jesus is saying is, if God heals, he heals so that you would give him the credit, so that you would realize that he cares about you and you would pursue a relationship with him. Right? That's why he heals. But if God doesn't heal, you need this perspective because God then chooses not to heal so that you can realize that he has a greater purpose in your life. That there are great works that he wants to do through you that will happen that is more important than your suffering. And it's even different. That it's actually going to use your suffering to bring about his greater work. Okay, I think in my experience, I don't know if this is true for you, but I think generally I am more inspired not by people who are healed, but by people who persevere when they're not healed. Right? I mean, I love it when God heals. I, I've, been, I've, I've been part of experiences where God has miraculously healed people. It's been wonderful. It's been amazing. We give him thanks and praise. Um, the problem is that it's, 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 it's interesting because it usually doesn't take a whole long period of time before you sort of move on. And I am so encouraged. I, and I'm continually encouraged and inspired that when I see people who are suffering and yet are enduring in faithfulness to God, who declare by their life that God is more important than their suffering. I mean, even the stories that are here in this room, like I know how many of you have suffered incredibly, dealing with big sufferings, but even just minor frustrations, and you continue to bring the perspective that Jesus has into that situation, and it renews you. It keeps the suffering from controlling you, and it is truly inspiring. And so if your perspective isn't renewed, then whatever God does in your life will have no effect. If you don't have this renewed perspective that God has a bigger purpose involved in your suffering, then if you get healed, you're going to leave God anyways in a short period of time. You'll thank him and then you'll just go on your merry way. And if he doesn't heal you, then you'll be, I mean, then again, you're going to be bitter. You're going to continue to live apart from God. 
So again, it's God's perspective that's important. I want to invite all of you to take on this perspective of Jesus. To realize that your suffering is an opportunity for God to show his work in you. That's what it's there for. And so Jesus renews our perspective. Then Jesus renews our way of life. That's our second point. He renews our perspective, second our way of life. This is verses 6 and 7. So Jesus has changed this man. He's training the disciples, and now he changes the man's life. And so he enacts this ritual, sort of with spit, mud, and a pool. What does he do? Verses 6 and 7. He spits on the ground. He makes mud and anoints the man's eyes and then sends him to wash in the pool of Siloam. So I've read this passage, I don't know, a hundred times, maybe, maybe more, who knows. I've heard people talk about it. I've heard people preach on it. Have you ever seen this? Have you ever like tried to imagine what this would have been like? Well, I I was thinking about that this week and, and so I tried it out and actually something kind of interesting happened. And I want to share it with you. So here, look what I have. I have dirt. I've got dirt here. So what does Jesus do? He goes and he spits in the dirt, right? He spits in the dirt. Who knows how many times he spit? And he uses the spit to make mud, right? Interestingly, while making this mud here, do you know what the Greek word for spit is? Tua. Tua, or tuo in the, in the, in the verb. Tuo. So, I mean, it's like, a, you know, just put an O at the end of it. That's how you do verbs in Greek. So, tuo. There's it. So, he spits. I mean, this is one of the interesting things is that you don't get a whole lot of mud, actually, from spit. So, he makes this mud, and he literally wipes it on the man's eyes. The guy was blind, so it's not, I don't think you'd get irritated. But so, there it is, right? Can you even see it? Isn't that interesting? Right? You can't see it. And then he sends him over to the pool of Siloam, which I have over here um, somewhere. Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, So he sends him over. It's about a quarter of a mile away. The guy goes to the pool and he washes. Can you imagine what this guy was doing, right? He washes the mud away from his eyes. And he can see. can see he comes back seeing now here's something that's kind of interesting outwardly this isn't very dramatic you know when i've read this before i've thought giant cakes of mud like smeared across the guy's face like war paint right he had a mask on his head you know he's walking everybody would have seen it but you just can't right there's nothing to see you could barely see the mud on my eyes right you don't get a lot of mud out of spit i mean you know, I spit probably three or four times. You just don't get a lot of mud out of it. Again, just sort of interesting stuff, right? That when you actually enact it, you, you just have a different perspective on it. To me, what this means is that this whole process was symbolic. Okay? It was symbolic. Now, you know, what did it symbolize, right? Let, let's think about that. I mean, if it's symbolic, then it's got to it's got to convey certain things. I, I think really there's two symbols here in this ritual. There's the mud and the pool, okay? The mud and the pool. The mud reminds me of, you know, just you know, like it, it talks, well, it reminds me of Genesis 2-7, 
right, all the way back in the, in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2, 7, because it says there, it says when, when God made human beings, it said God formed man from the ground, right? It says he formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into him the breath of life. Okay, so God formed man from the dust and then mixed his breath with the dust to, to give man life. In our passage, in verses 6 and 7, Jesus, his saliva is mixed with the dust of the ground to make mud. And then that mud is applied to the man's body to give his eyes new life. And the point here is that this is new creation. Jesus is bringing a new creation. Just as God uh, created and formed man from the dust of the ground, Jesus is now recreating human beings. He is applying the dust of the, of the earth to bring new life. And so when you come to Jesus, you are coming to the God of creation. You're coming to the one who made all things and has actually promised to renew all things. Right? To renew your perspective to renew your way of life, and to renew your story. So the other symbol is the Pool of Siloam, okay? Uh, John doesn't, doesn't leave us to guess. In verse 7, he says that the word Siloam means sent, sent. Now, this was a pool that was built uh, to store water um, from a spring outside the city walls, Okay? You want to think about this, when, the, when a city was attacked or sieged, you couldn't go outside to a spring. So there was the spring of Gihon, G-I-H-O-N, spring of Gihon outside the walls of the city, and it was on the outside. And so the, uh, King Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20.20, 20, um, he actually built this underground aqueduct to bring the water from that spring into, uh, you know, within the walls of the city so that that water could be accessed and so that life could continue and people in the city wouldn't die of thirst, okay? And so the water was sent from the spring into the city, okay? Now, the significance of this verse becomes even clearer, though, when you read verse 4. Because look what Jesus says about himself. We must work the works of him who sent me, right? Jesus calls himself the one whom God the Father sent, into the world. And if you do a little bit of study, um, already up to this point, if you start at the beginning of John's gospel, you have seen Jesus call himself the one whom God sent nine times. So this is the 10th time Jesus says he is the one whom God sent. And so what happens here is that Jesus is sending the man to the sent pool because he's saying you need to go where the water has been sent to you from outside. Okay, I want you to go to the pool that, where the water in that pool has been sent from the outside. And so the, picture is a, the pool is a picture of Jesus. The pool of Siloam is filled with water that has been brought in. It's been sent from outside of the city. In the same way, Jesus himself is life-giving water which we've read about a couple weeks ago in John chapter 4, where Jesus is the woman at the well. Jesus is the water of life. He brings the water of life. And he was sent from heaven to bring the water that brings life. 
And so Jesus and the pool go together. So you have the mud and the pool. These two things show us that Jesus was sent from heaven to bring a new creation. And that new creation renews your way of life. And that's what happened to this guy. Verse 7. He, came, he went and washed and came back seeing. He did just what Jesus said and came back healed. Folks, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. The God who made the world is the God who can renew the world. The God who made and gave eyes can heal eyes and give sight to the blind. Jesus can heal a man who was born blind. I was just trying to think about that. Like, how do we enter into that? I mean, let's say this guy was 30 years old, right? Can you, I mean, try to imagine, how old were you 30 years ago? I think about that. I just had a birthday. I'm 37, so I would have been seven years old, right? So think, think about all the things that have happened in your life over the last 30 years, what if you couldn't have seen any of that? I mean, just a way to try to get into that experience. I mean, this guy never had sight. So can you imagine what his life was like when the world just opened up, where all of a sudden color was real? I mean, this is a miracle. Now, what does this mean for us? How does this apply, this, this healing of this blind man, how does it apply to us? Well, Jesus renews your way of life. And so you want to think through, blindness is actually a really good metaphor for how we all need to grow. Right? You think about the areas of your life where you want to improve. Right? Our personal growth and development is often a process of learning to see what we don't yet see. Right? You think about uh, in relationships, Right, how we get blind to other people's needs. Right, we get blind to our own uh, weaknesses. We get blind to our own sins. Um, there are things that we learn about the world around us that we've been blind to before. Right, and as we learn new things, as we get sight, you know, to new things, then we are better able to love and care for other people. That our lives get renewed. Our ways of life are renewed. I mean, this is why we sing "Amazing Grace." Right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. If you've sung that song before, like how do you identify with that? Like what do you think of when you think about going from being blind to seeing? So see... Yeah, seeing a change in your life, right? Like seeing specific things where you're growing, right? Where things are improving, right? I mean, these are ways that we experience that, and it's, it's all by grace. It's all by grace. It is vital, um, if you're a Christian, to be able to notice where you're growing, to see where you are learning to see more than you were before. Right? Sometimes we get tempted to be like to kind of hide that stuff because we don't want to admit the past. Right? To say, 
well, this is how God is changing me, needs, I mean, requires that we have to admit stuff that's gone on, things that we've done in the past. But you know what? Like, that's part of your story. That's part of the reason why maybe you were suffering with it. Or that's how God has used your suffering to create an opportunity to put him on display. And so you want to be able to identify. You should write down, here are three things that I've seen God doing in my life over the last year. Last six months. Right? As we walk with Jesus, as we come to him, right? As we do what he says. Jesus told this man, you know, he smeared mud on his eyes, told him to go to the pool and wash. I mean, that reminds me of baptism, Right? Where, Jesus, where, the, where the cleansing waters of baptism flow over us so that we're cleansed and the Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts, that's where we get the strength to grow. That's where God's grace comes into our lives, right, and helps us to grow. You want to be able to, to see and articulate, how am I changing? Like, what areas am I growing? Is, is my perspective being renewed, right? Because that's, that's something, um, and so we're going to talk more about this in our third point. But that's, I mean, this is how Jesus renews our way of life. Is he comes to us with his word and with his spirit. With the community of the church, the family of the church. And we grow together. That's how it works. That's how it works for us. And so I'd invite you to spend time with Jesus in prayer, in his word. I invite you to be a part of our church family, right? Whatever the next step is for you, it might be joining a community group. I mean, that's where so much of life transformation happens because you get to talk and pray for each other, right? You get support. And so this is how Jesus renews our way of life. Our third and final point is that Jesus renews your story. Jesus renews your story. This is kind of the rest of the chapter. We're going to spend next week talking about this also. Um, Today we're going to look at the man, and next week we're going to look at all the different reactions um, that he got from his parents, from the neighbors, the Pharisees. So we're going to look at that next. But so uh, at this point, the rest of this chapter, this guy spends telling other people what Jesus has done for him. Right? That's what he does. In verses 8 through 41, it's just the man and the neighbors, the man and the Pharisees, the man and the Jews, right? And then the Pharisees come back, and then the man meets, you know, it's all about this man whose life has been changed telling other people what Jesus had done. And so this man had a story, right? He had a name. He was the man born blind. That's all you need to know about him. Nothing else mattered. It's kind of a drag. But now his story has been renewed. His story has been renewed. The suffering that was at the center of the photograph of his life has now become the frame around which a new picture of his life is coming into focus. Okay, and in that new picture, as it comes into focus, you see that Jesus is at the center with him that Jesus is at work in his life. Could you do that? Could you take the suffering, the frustration, the bitterness, maybe it's at work, maybe it's at home, maybe it's in your community, 
in a relationship with a friend, could you take that, that suffering, that frustration that you feel like is so consuming, right, that you feel like is the thing that, you just, that seems to dominate your thinking, could you take that and just picture it becoming a picture frame so that it's not the center of your life anymore and invite Jesus into the center of that picture? Let your suffering lead you to Jesus. Because when you come to him, even if you come to him saying, Jesus, I hate my life because of this. Or Jesus, I hate the fact that this is so hard. Or Jesus, this really makes me angry and I desperately want to change, right? Whatever it is, like come to Jesus with whatever's on your heart and tell him. And as you do that, as you read his word and see what kind of person he is, Jesus will begin, he'll, he'll, he'll come over you. He'll begin to speak to you. You know, as you read his word, you'll see it, that it applies to your life. It applies to you. It renews your perspective. You'll experience his Holy Spirit, right? If you're not a Christian, this is how you become a Christian. If you are a Christian, this is how you get back to your first love. Right? Because sometimes our suffering, our frustration ends up dominating, right? And Jesus gets sort of pushed out of the center. And again, so we just need to take whatever's in the center now and make it the picture frame around which our life with Jesus. And then, see, here's what's amazing is that then our suffering, our, our frustration, our bitterness, our anguish, our whatever it is that we're, that we're just, you know, that, that's, that's upsetting us in our lives, that actually can become the pathway to get back to Jesus, Does that make sense? Then every time that comes up, that's a doorway back to Jesus. You can say, oh, wait a second. This isn't the center. This isn't the center anymore. Jesus is in the center. This is now the frame on this new picture. And oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is in the middle. Right? And so these things can actually become means by which we come back to Jesus. Yeah, boy, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, the blind eyes of justice. You know, Here's what's amazing, is that when the blind eyes of justice come into the world, when we're reminded, when we're reminded of that, here's what happens. Jesus actually takes upon himself justice. Jesus actually takes justice upon himself on the cross. Jesus went to the cross so that we would not have to experience God's justice. And from that, we experience grace. Jesus uses justice as a tool for us to see just how much he loves us. Because if justice were to let reign, we all would be condemned. Because all of us fall short of God's standard. All of us do. And so we desperately need... I mean, what's amazing here is that the one who was sent, right? Jesus was sent to this man... He was sent to this man to heal him. And then he finds the man again. He seeks him out again. He was sent again at the end of the passage. That's how it ends. Jesus heard, verse 35, heard that this man had been cast out and found him and then said, you believe in the Son of Man. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, it's me. I am the Messiah. The Son of Man is a reference from Daniel 7 that's talking about when the Messiah comes, the Savior of the world. He is going to reign He is going to bring the kingdom of God and establish justice and mercy on the earth. 
and he is going to fill the world with his mercy. And so what's amazing is that not only, I mean, the way it happens is that not only does Jesus come to this man twice in this passage, but John, in the bigger picture, wants us to know that Jesus has also come for this man. He comes to this man to bring sight to his eyes, but Jesus entered into this world to come for this man and to go to the cross for this man so that the eyes of his heart might be opened. Brothers and sisters, that is amazing. This is why we, we ought to trust Jesus because he comes and he renews our way of life. He comes and he renews our perspective and then he goes to the cross to show us that he can be trusted. He goes to the cross so that we can have comfort when God asks us to suffer in order that his works might be displayed in us. Jesus on the cross tells us that all of our suffering has a purpose. Jesus on the cross tells us that all of our suffering will have an end. Jesus on the cross tells us that all of our suffering will cause us to have an opportunity to be able to tell other people of how God is at work in our lives. That's that's how it works. All this guy does in this chapter is share his story. That's all he does with his neighbors in verses 8 through 11. He just says, I'm the one. I'm the guy. You don't have to argue. It was me. They said, how did he do it? Well, he made mud and anointed my eyes, and I washed and I see. All I did was tell his story. What's your story? He did it with the Pharisees. Pressure came on him. The religious leaders who opposed him. He told them, verse 15, he put mud on my eyes. I washed and I see. And they come at him again the second time in verses 24 uh, 24 and 25. And the guy, they're pressing in on him. We're going to look at this in detail next week. And he says, look, here's the deal, guys. You want to ask all these questions? I'm not sure about what you're talking about. Here's what I do know. I was blind and now I see. This man simply shared his story. What an amazing encouragement to us. That's all you need to share. When you think about the people around you, all, you don't need to have every answer to every question. All you need to do is let people know, you know what, here's how I was blind, and now here's how I see. You know, I was enslaved in lust, but now lust has been removed from the center of my life because Jesus is there now. And it's still a struggle, but, it's, but I'm growing. Right? I was controlled by my career. Right? I would do anything. I would sacrifice anything to get ahead because for me, I needed my career. But now, you know what? Jesus has taught me. He's renewed my perspective. And now I see that there are things that are as important, if not more important, than simply what I do for a living. I've been impatient. I've been angry. I've come to Jesus and I see Jesus working in my life. I think sometimes what can be some of the most inspiring um, stories are stories that aren't miraculous darkness to light. You know, if it takes a long time for you to grow, I think that story might actually be more inspiring and more encouraging to people than if God just zapped you. 
because he doesn't zap everybody, right? And if you've just been zapped, like share your story, please, because if you've been zapped, maybe I could be zapped, but if God doesn't zap me, then I get encouraged by knowing that, you know what, it's taken me five years to get to where I am, but I'm, I'm in a different place than I was. Because um, it's not easy. I mean, sharing the story is not easy. This guy encounters all kinds of, He's persecuted by the neighbors, by his family. He's thrown under the bus by his parents. My goodness gracious. We're going to look at that next week. He's persecuted by the religious leaders. Ultimately, he's socially ostracized. So it's not necessarily easy. As you begin to tell people about Jesus, it's not always going to go well. Okay, I'm not telling you that you have a license to be obnoxious. Please don't do that. Um, But you should recognize, and I just want to forewarn you, that as you share your renewed story with Jesus at the center, um, some people will receive it, other people might not. And so I just want to encourage you over the next couple of weeks uh, to be thinking about how has Jesus made a difference in your life? Why would somebody want to adopt your faith? What has it done for you? How has it caused your life to be better? Does it work for you? Figure out ways to be able to share that with others and think about Sundays too why are Sundays important to you what happens here in church that would make you want to bring somebody else here because as you think about that as you process that that's then becomes part of your story and what you want to share with others let's pray together Father I pray that you would um, continue to renew our perspective Lord you are the most important thing in in my life, in our lives. God, we want to honor you first and foremost. And so if there are things that you want to put on display in us, God, we are willing. We are willing, Lord, even to endure suffering so that your power and your glory would be put on display. And God, I pray for every person here that you would help all of us to take that frustration, that anger, that, that, that anguish, that suffering that we're enduring and help us, Lord, to take it out of the center of our lives. Help us to give it to you. And Lord, give us your perspective so that we would see how you want to show your works in us, specifically in that place. And Lord, for those who are here and haven't yet made a commitment to Jesus, God, I pray that you would work in their lives so that they would see that you can be trusted. God, help them see that your justice and your mercy have kissed on the cross of Jesus and that from the throne, from your throne flows grace because Jesus took our justice. Draw us all closer to you, Father. Help us to trust you. And then, Lord, give us a story. Help us to share our story of what you're doing in our lives with others so that you would get the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.